Welcome to the Esri in the Science of Wear podcast. We often hear how trees and forests can help us fight climate change. But do trees also contribute to the economy? Can they help advance social equity and public health? Dr. Matt Ritter would emphatically say yes to all that and more. Ritter is a professor in the biology department at Cal Poly and the director of the Cal Poly Plant Conservatory. David Orr says that the average person recognizes more than a thousand corporate logos, but can identify fewer than 10 plants or animals native to his or her locality. Ritter recently appeared at the University of Redlands near Esri headquarters to talk about the incredible ways trees and forests make a difference in our lives and our cities. I'm gonna start with the uh, bad news. And this is likely a story you've heard before many times, but we're facing serious environmental challenges. Uh, We have a state of 40 million people. Baja, California is marching towards Oregon, and the tool it has to get there is drought and fire. Climate change has, I think, some really interesting characteristics of the perfect problem. Too slow acting, too prolonged for most people to really care about. too diffuse to affect any one person, and uh, a little bit difficult to tell great stories about. Though we're getting better at telling stories about climate change and about, uh, about the issues associated with that, because humans, I truly believe, learn from stories more than data, from the interpretation of data and stories. I don't know if you all saw this or not, but this is an analysis by the Washington Post, which they looked at many different scenarios for climate change in the near future. And they found that only a few of the scenarios actually would leave the planet with lower than one and a half degrees uh, Celsius change by the end of the 21st century. I think they said a 19% chance of that. And all those scenarios, all those best case scenarios, however, require the world to go beyond just net zero, but actual fossil, not not just net zero with fossil fuel emissions, but reduction and massive carbon sequestration to do that. General warming has occurred uh, in the years between the publications of these maps. We can't plant all the same trees and the same plants that we've always planted, and we can't plant them where we've always planted them. Things are changing, so we have to look to the future when we think about what are we growing and how are we designing uh, the, the forests in and around in our, our cities. California is getting hotter, and it's just predicted to get warmer. Warmer also in most of the models means drier, and in a Mediterranean climate, it means more erratic weather, m- repeating floods and droughts. And in California, in less than a decade, we have lost over 5% of the total trees in the state. This includes the native forests and urban forests. We're experiencing a new reality with this precarious future for our state's forests. This is particularly problematic as California population expands and the wildland urban interface gets larger in California and that interface continues to, to grow. A recent global analysis looked at over 3,000 different tree species that are grown in cities. They actually looked at 164 cities in 78 countries. And they showed that nearly three quarters of all those species that are grown commonly in those cities are at risk of performing poorly in in almost all future climate scenarios. Urban forests are accentuated in their importance in forests in general. And here's what I mean by that, that urban areas worldwide uh, span about 3% of the Earth's uh, land surface. 
but they have about 60% of the population. In California, it's even more drastic. About 5% of the land area of California is where 95% of over 35 million people in California live. And so those places, those forests where people live, are the places that have the potential to increase the quality of life of people in those areas, in, the, in those urban forests. We're also in the midst of what most scientists consider the planet's sixth mass extinction event. The eminent botanist and friend of mine named Peter Raven said that it's possible that two-thirds of all terrestrial species are going to be threatened with an, uh, or, and or endangered by the end of this century. And the world is experiencing this alarming loss of biodiversity. I'm very interested in language, and maybe you are too, and I follow the, the words that people use and the words that have come into our language over the last decade. Firestorm, megafire. What was the recent one, which was bomb cyclone? Did you, get, did you guys remember that? How often did you hear bomb cyclone before this year? Right? Uh, atmospheric river would be another one. These are all changes that we're seeing in our language, and it's reflected in all these events that are happening slowly, but in reality, they're pushing forward. The Earth provides our species with a massive number of ecosystem services on which we depend. We depend on it for our wealth, our health, our enjoyment. And we've met many of these gifts with significant threats of habitat loss and overconsumption, pollution, disease, climate change. The overall driver, though, is what ecologists might call competitive displacement. And that's what we do very well as a species. So on a finite planet where millions of different organisms live and hundreds of thousands of species uh, live in the same space and depend on finite resources, the continuous expansion of one requires potentially the necessary contraction and extinction of others. California has been a world leader in climate action, conservation, environmental policies, but we've been hit hard. David Wallace Wells recently wrote this about California in the New York Times in a piece that he was actually writing about the Canadian wildfires. He says that in California, the record-setting fire season of 2020 entirely erased the emissions gains over the previous 16 years, putting twice as much carbon into the atmosphere as we've saved by all the state's decarbonization policies from 20, 2003 to 2019. Wildfire is a very big deal. And that, that is something that we have to focus on in California and do, and do our best possible potential policies to deal with fire and how we do that. And, and I know immediately here I've gotten into some controversial areas, but that's something that we need to focus on. Because if we're worried about decarbonization and we're worried about carbon sequestration, but we're not focused on wildfire, they can't, those two can't coexist. But here's my vision that many of these things that I've talked about, we potentially in California don't have the kind of power we would like to stop them, change them, or reverse them. We are going to have forest regime change in California. The, the forests of the Southern Sierra, they're going to they're go away in the next 50 to 100 years. They're going to be chaparral. Forests are going to come shrublands. Things like that are going to happen. But our cities, that 5% of the land area where 95% of the people live, those are built environments. Those are things that while the rest of California burns, we can control that. We can control the quality of human life potentially by being very smart, 
about what we do with our urban forests. That's why I'm so, much of my work is focused on urban forests because I think that is where you go if you care deeply about the quality of life of people who are living in California. So maybe there in our built environments, we can be very smart about this while these things are happening in, in, in the background. And all solutions involve trees. Trees can help, trees will help. They can maintain the quality of human lives in our crowded cities, and we can grow rare things. We can work towards biodiversity and conservation in the areas where people uh, are living while trying our hardest and darndest to conserve wild areas in California and beyond. The value of urban forests right there experienced every day by people who are living in California. Um, some of those experiences are immediate and physical, meaning you're under the shade of a tree on a hot day and you feel better. Some of them are less tangible. They're still present though. These are things like the, the positive impacts to mental health associated with having vegetation and shade and, uh, around. We experience the benefits every day of urban forest, whether we, we know it or not. And it's well known that trees remove carbon dioxide and, and air pollution. Shaded surfaces can be 20 degrees cooler than unshaded surfaces. Canopy cover, which by the way is not evenly distributed in urban areas in California. Different neighborhoods, different communities, different groups of people have different canopy cover for historically problematic reasons, for reasons of socioeconomic status. Things that we can solve, things that we can learn about and then solve. Canopy cover is very important. And we have a goal in California of 10% urban canopy cover increase by 2035. And this is based on Assembly Bill 2251, in which the legislature said this is important enough that we're going to set a goal. We may not make that goal, but we're going to set this goal by 2035 to have 10% more. It's ambitious, and we are currently, our research group at Cal Poly is currently working on this problem of what is our current canopy cover, and, and can we actually have a baseline that then we can see change and do a change analysis associated with that. And we have students diligently working on can the canopy cover problem at Cal Poly this summer. Some of those undergrads have spent the last two months digitizing individual canopies on a little plot for hours and hours on end so we can train a computer to teach us actually what is the canopy cover in California. And it's gonna be a really powerful map that we're capable of creating, but the work behind it done by undergraduates at Cal Poly is, is really important. In addition to providing shade and canopy cover, mature trees capture and store rainwater. Shoppers, we know, will spend about 10% more time and money in places with canopy cut, a larger number of trees than areas without it. Each year, urban forestry in California, you may not know this, but it provides about 75,000 to 100,000 jobs in California or people who work in the urban forests. People are less likely to be admitted to hospitals with lung issues in areas with neighborhoods with more trees. People living in neighborhoods with fewer trees are more likely to report symptoms of depression and stress and anxiety. A mature tree can intercept thousands of gallons of stormwater runoff and trees can help save up to 50% on annual air conditioning costs for homes if they're placed right and the tree, uh, tree shades the home at the right time. And by reducing energy demand and sequestering carbon, trees can help com combat climate change and negative effects of that. In fact, all solutions to climate change, 
I'll say it again, involve planting trees and more of them. It's an awesome machine for taking carbon out of the atmosphere, cooling the planet, and, and making people's lives higher quality in the places where they live around trees. Because the trees in the urban forest, they are also potentially at risk due to changing climate. And part of our environmental challenges, I believe, have to do and stem from a lack of appreciation of plants and of trees and of the natural world. David Orr says that the average person recognizes more than a thousand corporate logos but can identify fewer than 10 <laughs> plants or animals native to his or her locality. And this has been well documented in several peer-reviewed publications that what's been being called plant blindness, just the inability to see these organisms that much of our society and material wealth depend on. When we lose that knowledge of the natural history, of the names and stories of the organisms, our appreciation for a place like this can de deteriorate. We no longer tell each other stories about the organisms that are there, and we don't know the names and stories of it. We, can, we stop caring as much about them. In our, in our knowledge and appreciation can be lost forever. The 19th century botanist T.H. Huxley, he said this, that to a person uninstructed in natural history, his country or seaside stroll is a walk through a gallery filled with wonderful works of art, nine-tenths of which have their faces turned to the wall. And trees define a sense of a place, and urban trees definitely define our cities in California. And we if we can learn about their names and their stories and the interesting things about these common yet fascinating organisms, I felt, oh, that could be a gateway drug for people caring about trees in general and then maybe conservation in general and forests and natural areas just if they ask themselves, if you generate a little bit of curiosity in them about what is that tree on my street. In our research group, we're learning a lot about what is actually out in California. There's a lot of species out there in California. And um, we have the California Urban Forest Inventory now, which is 7 million data points of uh, professionally inventoried trees in California where it says that these species occur here. And it's a, it, it's a really cool, I think, data set. And you can learn a lot from 7 million data points. And they tell us where, for instance, the trees in California come from. A lot of the species we grow evolved in a wetter, cooler climate than we have here in California. And just this kind of data will help us say, oh, look at that. That 1.5% there is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to potentially grow things that will be here in 50 years, that will thrive on the drought that's coming and thrive on the hot weather that's coming. And we can, we, we, based on species characteristics and also where they evolved, we can make really smart decisions about what we grow in the future. These are built environments and there, there are urban forests and we get to choose what we grow there. And what should we be planting in our cities? That's a troubling and very difficult question. What should we be planting for many people? And I, for one, was so naive when I got into the world of, of urban forestry. I, I came into the world of urban forestry thinking, I love trees. Everybody's going to love trees. Not the case. <laughs> Turns out that trees are very controversial. And many people see trees as only problematic. I like the Louis Hellman cartoon where he shows the trees as seen by different types of people. The planner 
sees it as a schematic on the page. The parks department is something to clean up after. The publisher would see it as a, just a source of paper. Developer would see it as, a, as, an, as an obstruction. This is a controversial aspect of trees in California, that trees have conflict with our infrastructure. We could help mitigate that by smart planting and so on, but they do. And when trees come in conflict with our infrastructure, they're gonna win. They'll push a building over, curb to the side. They'll, they'll consume things. And trees often, they don't cooperate and they ultimately can destroy things and trees are living. It's not necessarily profound for me to say that to you. Trees are living. I've come to believe that not everybody has an immediate appreciation for the fact that trees are living. Here's an email that I received not that long ago. Hi, Dr. Ritter. I would like to plant a tree in my front yard. I want your help with tree selection. I would like a tree that blooms nicely, doesn't grow big, doesn't drop any leaves, flowers, or fruit. Thank you for your help. That's a hard request right there. I thought, Maybe we shouldn't think of having to sweep up or clean up after a tree as a burden, but more of a privilege, and, and then we could get along with them a little bit better. There's about 300,000 species of known plants in the world. How many of them mature into a tree? About 60,000. 60,000 known trees in the world. And if you go through, like I have, every inventory you can find, how many species do you find that people have tried in cities? It turns out to be about 4,700. And if we think of our urban forests as conservatories for some of the world's best diversity, we can look at them differently. We can appreciate them. We can think many of our cultivated trees, they have these incredible forms. They have interesting textures, they have amazing colors, beautiful flowers. If you actually look at them closely, the detail is amazing. And they're indicators of changing seasons and passing time. Without trees, our cities are, are gross and inhospitable. And urban life without trees is a, is a lower quality life. And our cities are beautiful because of them. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. And thanks to Dr. Matt Ritter for reminding us of the simple importance of trees, forests, and other living things in the natural world. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.